With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, welcome to another episode of Purple and I, You know what? I'm an idiot. I forgot to ask how to pronounce your last name. It's Liskow, right? It's not... That is the common. See, uh, that's that's why I asked. Let's go. Let's go. Pretend the W isn't there. Yeah. Let's go. Perfect. That's thing. That's why I asked. Okay, here we go. Hello, welcome to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here, and from the Locked On Bengals podcast, Jake Lisko. What's up, Jake? Hey, Matt. Matthew. Matt. Matthew. What? What is the? Lisko, Liskow, Matt, Matthew. Yeah, we can just you know, call each other whatever we want. We, we're just meeting here, Jake. I, I usually go with Matthew, but Matt is fine. I don't get offended. It's all fair in podcast and war. That's what they say, right? Yeah, I think that is it. Uh, cooler I've gotten. Collier is a very yep. common one. Anyway, so Jake, uh, you're here to discuss week one. How about this, man? Week one. Like, doesn't it feel like it's the longest? Like, when do we play football? When your team misses the playoffs, it feels like it has been for absolutely ever since your team has actually played football. Yeah, I just finished recording today's episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast on Monday, and I'm just thinking like, man, we get to talk about actual regular season football. Oh, this is great. I've been waiting to do this for, for years. Well, wait, it couldn't have been years. It How feels like it, this though. year been? Years? Yeah. yeah. Yes, yes, years. I mean, think about the last time either one of our teams had a game that mattered. Then you have to go back even farther. The Vikings and Bears probably weak. I want to say it was like – 15 maybe 14 that it mattered and for the Bengals probably the last time Joe Burrow played right I would go further back although I mean you can make an argument that the games mattered for you know Joe Burrow's development of course and that sort of thing in in 2020 but I would say the last game the Bengals played that mattered was probably 2015 so you know if we really want to really get into what matters means that was that was a playoff game i guess technically 2016 was the when uh aj mccarron was leading the pittsburgh steelers is the game that you're talking about um so i got a lot of things that i want to throw at you about the Bengals, but let me just begin because just before we started recording i made a I, i told you a little story about mike zimmer and his blunt honesty about a backup quarterback and uh you said that mike zimmer is revered in cincinnati i can totally see why he was the defensive coordinator there in the good times for Bengals fans where they were very successful on defense uh what if you just thought from afar watching him become a, a successful head coach in Minnesota that's lasted far longer than most head coaches do I feel like uh I'm glad to hear you describe his his time in Minnesota that way because I feel like fans have started to turn on him maybe maybe this is not actually happening and that's just my perception from the outside but I I love Mike Zimmer I think he's a fantastic football coach I have often called him a, a cornerback witch 
for the productivity and, and skill that he gets out of some corners, including Terrence Newman, when he's like a 55 year old man, still <laughs> playing really good football. So, uh, yeah, I, I love Mike Zimmer. We'll always like Mike Zimmer and have loosely followed Minnesota from afar. And, you know, there's some, some parallels, like not quite getting over that hump in Minnesota, which was a problem for the Bengals, even in those good times you mentioned. And so, uh, you know, when they're not playing the Bengals, I, I, I don't, root against the Vikings by, by any, by any stretch of the imagination. I've got, I've got a good friend who's a Vikings fan as well. And so I do have a soft spot for the Vikings on non Bengals weeks. Well, I think it would be like asking Bengals fans, was it a success to have Marvin Lewis there? And then just pick whichever Marvin Lewis part one or Marvin Lewis part two, like the Carson Palmer or the Andy Dalton. And I would say that both were a success. Now on this show, I'm constantly saying, hey, we only think about the moves that you make to try to win the Super Bowl. But when you look at their record overall, a trip to the NFC championship in comparison to a lot of coaches that get hired and where it goes, Matt Patricia, for example, um, I think that anytime your team reaches a level of consistently competitive for a long stretch of time, you've been a success as a head coach. Now, if you get over the top and you win a Super Bowl, like say Andy Reid ultimately did after many years of being a successful head coach, well, that's a different sort of echelon of where you get to exist in the football universe. But I think that going into every single season when you're expected to win the division, battle against Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, and you've constantly been in the playoff race or in the playoffs to the very end, I think that's successful. Now, does that mean that it's it needs to continue or it needs to go to another level? Like I think it it does, or they might have to make a change. But I think if you're looking at it compared to where they were after Les Frazier, I think it's been successful. Yeah, there's this there's this idea that's common between what you just said and and Bengals fans, which is at some point you need to try to find somebody that can take the next step. But as you can see with the Bengals moving from Marvin Lewis to Zach Taylor, much, much easier said than done. I think, in fact, I, I haven't done this research, but I would now be very interested to do it. You go back and look at head coaches that leave a team after a run of general success. They can't win playoff games, but they're getting to the playoffs at least every other year, more more often than you, know, you should in a perfect world of, of parity. And then I want to see how did that next head coach do? Because it's so hard. And and Andy Reid is another great example. And we don't need to talk too much about this because we're here to talk Vikings, Bengals week one. But Andy Reid, such a, a great parallel to Mike Zimmer, where he just he was a good coach for a really long time. And until he won, until he did the thing, until he got Patrick Mahomes, he wasn't seen in that top tier of NFL coaches with the Bill Belichick's of the world. And, and now he certainly is. And it goes along with, and I swear I'll tie this into the Bengals, but it goes along with a lot of different coaches like who got pinned with the, oh, the guy can't really win. I mean, even Bill Cower was there for a long time and then uh, Tony Dungy for a long time and he eventually wins. Usually the parallel, Tom Coughlin too, usually the parallel is you get a top drafted quarterback and that guy wins for you. And so that, that, that has always been on my mind with Zimmer and Marvin Lewis is if you had someone better than Andy Dalton and you had someone maybe less expensive and better than Kirk Cousins or Sam Bradford or injured Teddy Bridgewater or, or Case Keenum, like does Mike Zimmer get his team there? And the answer is maybe yes with the defenses they've had. But let's talk some – Let's talk some Bengals here. Here's the tie-in. The tie-in is Joe Burrow. 
because I don't think it matters if Zach Taylor is Zach Taylor, the coach, is that his name? It doesn't matter. It probably won't matter if we're being honest here. The guy that matters is Joe Burrow, right? To this entire franchise. So what did you see last year? And we'll just put the injury aside because you don't know. And I don't know how he's going to look in year two, but assume that he just comes back. Like, did you think of Joe Burrow? This is the guy who can do the thing. I, I think that you saw a lot that indicates that that could be the case for him. And it's hard to ignore the injury because that really robbed us of a significant part of the season where you would expect him to be hitting his stride. And the Bengals offense was hitting its stride. It was starting to get hot. And the game he got hurt even, like they were nickel and diming that Washington defense, but he was shredding them. Like he, they knew they're not going to give it up over the top. They did have a couple of chances to hit T Higgins on posts and, and a deep corner, but uh, the, the ball placement wasn't actually quite right. He missed his, he lived, he missed his landmarks a little bit. And so that's the one area where he does need to get better is deep vertical accuracy, but he showed the playmaking that he showed at LSU. And it, and it did translate to the NFL spinning out of tackles, evading multiple sacks, finding guys on the sideline. He showed that precision the clinical accuracy, especially in the intermediate part of the field as pro football focus has documented ad nauseum. He was fantastic in the 10 to 19 yard part of the field. No reason that won't continue reportedly working with Jordan Palmer added five miles per hour of velocity to his fastball or to his consistent, you know, I'm going to throw a bullet velocity, which was to be fair, lower than what was previously seen as draftable reportedly like a 49 mile per hour velocity that benchmark at the combine when the quarterbacks throw as hard as they can had been 55 miles per hour before Deshaun Watson came along and kind of blew it all up and Joe Burrow adding that five miles per hour gets him really close to that old benchmark that may or may not be a thing teams care about anymore but if he has added a little bit of throw power and he, he does consistently tweak his mechanics and his knee is healthy then maybe some of those tight window throws that he had to time perfectly and have perfect touch on and perfect placement on maybe he has a little bit more margin for error and he didn't need that before so if he now has that and this is another weapon in his arsenal then you could see that step coming you could also see a step coming if he improves his usage of the middle of the field the bengals using a lot of sideline targets last year you generally see a leap when quarterbacks start to use the middle of the field more it's something he did really well at lsu we'll see if that comes along with this bengals offense this year and the vertical accuracy, as I mentioned, has been discussed by this Bengals coaching staff as a point of emphasis. Supposedly in the last couple of weeks, they've really ramped up practicing in this area since media got kicked out, since they stopped doing the training camp style practices. So we haven't been able to see him. We don't have eyewitness reports, but supposedly this has been an emphasis. This is why they drafted Jamar Chase. And it's one of those things where it was really confusing that he wasn't good at it as a rookie because he was so good at it at LSU. I mean, so good downfield. And I've recently rewatched the first half of the 2019 championship game because somebody DM me about it. Somebody DM me and said, hey, Jamar had these drops in the national championship game too. He didn't, by the way. Uh, it was a pass breakup. And one of them was Thaddeus Moss and not number one. But anyway, besides the point, those two guys were great downfield in that game and great vertically in that game. And so now together, again, I'm really excited to see what that looks like. And uh, I guess this is a great segue for you to ask about the offensive line, unless you have a follow-up. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, we'll get there because uh, both of these teams have some troubles with uh, the offensive line. So we'll definitely discuss that. But uh, as a follow-up on Joe Burrow, I did want to add that I think, if I'm not mistaken, Kirk Cousins threw the ball as hard at the combine as Patrick Mahomes. So I just don't put any stock in that at all. I mean, I think especially when you're talking about guys winding up and throwing as hard as they can, it's like, I, this is not usually how you play football anyway. So what does it mean? The MPH. And like you said about the Deshaun Watson thing that may have dropped him in the draft. And then, you know, other than FBI related things, I mean, the guy has just been as good of a quarterback as there is in the NFL. So I just don't make anything of that. I did watch somebody's cut up of bad Joe Burrow throws down the field and there's some flutter going on and it sort of reminded me of Teddy Bridgewater 2015 where Bridgewater was taking a step in 2016 to have more precision on those throws and more gas on those throws and he, Teddy doesn't didn't do it a whole lot last year in Carolina but when he did his deep accuracy was actually okay and so I think that you can improve and uh, sorry for this reference but like even Tom Brady, when he first started, was not whipping balls 40, 50 yards down the field accurately. And then all of a sudden he was. So I think that that is an area where quarterbacks in the NFL can improve. It's possible that Jordan Palmer, Carson Palmer's little brother, Bengals tie-in, also played for the Bengals briefly, is just really good at what he does, which is using high-tech equipment to analyze quarterback mechanics and finding ways to fix it. And what they worked on with Burrow, great piece on The Athletic about this was about him and Josh Allen working with Jordan Palmer. And the, the the big thing they worked on with him is he was coming completely off his back foot when he threw deep. By the time he released the ball, he was getting no power from his back leg. What they're working on with him is keeping that back leg down. So it's actually a mechanic change. Getting all the cleats into the ground is how Joe Burrow has talked about it and is how Jordan Palmer talked about it in his interview when they discussed it. And that mechanic change is supposedly what what is helping him find the consistency and, and the consistent velocity. You know, what's interesting about the balls uh, fluttering on the deep vertical stuff last year too, because I don't recall this being much of an issue at LSU. I, I really don't. I think his, like when I watched Burrow at LSU, because I was a late adopter of Joe Burrow that year, I was covering the team on lockdown Bengals with Joe Goodberry, who sounds like he's been on your podcast before. And yep. Yep. We, you know, that year I was like, okay, Justin Herbert or Tua going into the year because the Bengals are probably going to be really bad and we're going to be looking for a quarterback. And by the Alabama game, I came around on Burrow and was like, okay, I got to, I got to actually consider this isn't a one-year wonder 23 year old or 22 year old or whatever, who is just doing it because he's old and better than everybody. Now he's actually maybe really good. And then I, and then, you know, as, as I watched him and I needed to be sold, I, I really didn't see that as a flaw. Certainly there was like, he doesn't have a cannon. But I thought his arm strength was adequate, and I thought the accuracy and the playmaking ability and the, and the mental aspect of his game was so good that it didn't matter. And so it was interesting that that showed up in his rookie year, and that's why I was so perplexed by it. The consistent accuracy issues, you know, under-throwing balls, the, the fluttering balls that, that aren't coming out of his hand clean. And um, so that is one big area where I'm looking for him to – make that progression and, and find that mechanic change that is going to work for him. He said that he does often go back to his mechanics and find ways to get more efficient. I think this is something that a lot of high level quarterbacks do not uncommon by any means. And so we'll see how that plays out. And the other thing that is going to be especially interesting this year is people really rag on the Bengals offensive line. And we're going to talk about it. Uh, a couple of things here that are relevant. One, like four of the guys that gave up most of their pressures are gone. 
And so we'll talk about that. But the other thing is Joe Burrow invites a lot of pressure on himself. He tries to extend plays. Mm -hmm. he, he's known for, for trying to, ex, you know, be that playmaker, right? But he doesn't have the Patrick Mahomes arm that goes with it. And he, he has that mentality of a Patrick Mahomes, uh, you know, post-snap, but, but not necessarily the arm. He does often find ways to make it work. I would rather him do that than be Andy Dalton, who is never looking to extend the play, as we saw for a long time in Cincinnati. But it does invite pressure. And I think if you go look at, you know, at least PFF's charting, which is a, a good, you know, rule of thumb, not necessarily gospel by any means, but you look at their charting and they have Joe Burrow responsible for a high percentage of self-inflicted pressures when you compare him to other quarterbacks around the league. So part of it's his playing style. You see this with the guys with that style that are looking to extend the play, but I am looking for him to get a little bit smarter in that area, know his own boundaries a little bit better and, and, you know, hopefully get more of DeForest Buckner complaining on the sideline that he's getting rid of the ball too fast, <laughs> which is a fun mic'd up clip that's out there, than him getting hit like 30 times against Philly because he's trying to do too much. Uh, before we talk about other parts of this matchup, um, how many quarterbacks in the NFL would you trade Joe Burrow for? I don't know, man. Um, Patrick Mahomes, obviously. Uh Probably Josh Allen, probably Lamar, which is not going to be very popular with Bengals fans who might be listening to this. Um, and then and then there's like the debates of like the age thing with some of the like the the Russell Wilsons and the and the, you know, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, that that echelon of players and maybe somebody I'm forgetting. But I, I wouldn't trade him for like Baker. I think that that's really close. And I think he can be better than Baker, who I think is in a for the record, a great scheme fit with Kevin Stefanski in Cleveland. Like I think Kevin Stefanski, Baker Mayfield is a great marriage and it's going to make Baker a better player. Wouldn't trade him for Herbert. And that's probably controversial to the NFL fans and followers uh, at large, but I still think the Burrow can be better than Herbert, even though Herbert had the gaudy numbers and was great downfield and was, was more accurate downfield than I ever thought he would be despite his cannon arm coming out of Oregon. He's very good, but I'm still, you know, I'm rolling with the guy that I'm more familiar with, I guess. There's a really good argument. Herbert's younger, doesn't have the injury, uh, but, you know, that, that one I'm still taking Burrow for now. Yeah, I'm not sure younger even matters with quarterbacks either when they can play till they're 40. If it was a running back, it would probably matter. Uh, I am also not sold entirely that Justin Herbert is just like the truth um, after last year, because we've seen this kind of happen before where a guy has some flashes or is really good for a stretch, but then people figure them out. So we'll see how that plays out. Burrow talent plus contract, I think is very favorable. But here's my question for you as we go into matchup stuff. The rest of this roster, like how good is it? How because he should have weapons. Like you should be saying these are very, very good weapons. Uh, I think T. Higgins was underratedly good last year because he plays for the Bengals, and uh, Boyd is good. And I don't think that preseason drops means that Jamar Chase is never going to catch a football again. In fact. I am so anti preseason on the show. I would suggest you drop any ball that you might get hit. Like there was one where he alligator armed and I was like, good man, good man. Do not take some stupid hit in the preseason alligator arms. This doesn't count. Um, weapons, offensive line possibly improved, but is this team around Joe Burrow good enough to compete? Is it good enough to play with a Minnesota Vikings, a team that's supposed to be good? 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I think, I think so. And I think this is like somewhat surprising, but it, it all comes back to Burrow and his recovery and, and, can he elevate the team? Because you look around the NFL, typically quarterbacks are driving success. You see second-year quarterbacks, and, and Joe Goodberry has, has recently made a big point of this, like even Mariota and Jameis Winston um, in their second years on not very good teams with coaches that got fired, they won nine games each. And so, you know, you look at the Bengals' record last year, they win four games. You probably think they're not very good. They lose a lot of one-score games. They blow a 21-0 lead against the Colts. They, they blow a late lead against the Browns. They, you know, they end up tying against Philly. It's probably if Joe Burrow plays the whole year, they probably beat the Giants later in the year too. Like it's probably like an, a seven or eight win team. If, you know, may, maybe that's a little generous, maybe seven wins last year. And if they're a seven win team last year and Joe Burrow doesn't get hurt, I really wonder what the discourse would be going into this year because there are a lot of people that think, oh, there's no way they're winning more than six games. And it's hard for me to imagine them being just as bad as they were last year. Yes, they lost Carl Lawson. Yes, they lost William Jackson. Yes, they could have done more on the offensive line. But when acknowledging all those things, they also spent a ton of money on defense. So you shouldn't fall off that much from losing those two guys. And we're not talking about the defense yet. Let's stay on the offensive line. Like I said earlier, they lost the guys that were really, really bad in pass protection for them. Billy Price, uh, traded for for bj hill i think that the preseason was a ploy to get him you know more trade value and i think bj hill is a solid return there uh, mike jordan who was the player who fell with jonathan allen into joe burrow's knee when he got hurt doesn't make the team he's cut was a guy going into camp that we thought he's fighting for a roster job uh, alex redmond who is on the new england practice squad now played a lot for the Bengals at right guard last year. And uh, Bobby Hart, who is a he who shall not be named in Cincinnati, uh, <laughs> didn't make the Bills, I believe. And so uh, he was starting for the Bengals last year. And Bobby Hart was, after Jonah Williams got hurt at times last year, the Bengals' best offensive lineman. That's how bad it was <laughs> last year. Um, go to this year now, Jonah Williams is back and should be healthy. No reason to expect he's going to have chronic issues and looks good at left tackle. Riley Reef, you guys are familiar with in mm -hmm. Minnesota. Should be solid at right tackle. Maybe not a, a world beater, but solid. Certainly better than Bobby Hart. Trey Hopkins back at center. Probably like a slightly below average center, but you can get away with that. And it's totally fine in pass protection because centers don't have to do that much in pass protection. And then the big question is left guard, right guard, where last year it started as Mike Jordan and Xavier Suofilo, who quickly got hurt and gave way to guys like Billy Price and Alex Redman, who were problems at right guard. This year starts with Quentin Spain at left guard and fair to question if he's going to get back to his younger form because he wasn't very good last year. He was also playing like left tackle for some reason and played two days after the Bengals acquired him. So there's reason to be somewhat optimistic that he can be again in that below average range instead of poor, which is a big step up. And then there's a lot of reason to believe that if you're not running Alex Redmond and Billy Price out there, right guard, 
you get Xavier Suofilo, who's historically not been able to play a full season, but has been good in pass protection when he has played. Should be fine in pass pro. Maybe not a good fit for the wide zone run stuff they want to do. They're not as mobile as you would like to see for, for that position for this team, for that scheme. But should be fine in pass pro. Then you can see the path to the Bengals offensive line being average. On the other hand, Jonah Williams, Riley Reef gets hurt. Well, suddenly Fred Johnson is <laughs> playing tackle. And now you're worried about your tackles again. And so this sounds so familiar, by the way, that you're running through this like, well, if this guy, but then maybe if this guy, then they can be kind of OK. Well, you know what? I think the the ifs are a little overstated. I expect them to actually be like, OK, like they won't be a bottom three offensive line unless things go wrong. But things go wrong in the NFL. And so it's, it's that's that's where we don't know how they react and how they how they um, deal with adversity when it happens, you know. Yeah, and the matchup there should be interesting because it's a completely revamped Vikings defensive line. Daniil Hunter back, two giant men in the middle. Everson Griffin is here. They have high expectations for DJ Wanham. So this battle is going to be something that could be a determining factor, but there's a lot of like, we don't really know how this is going to look for the Vikings defensive line. I think it's, if we're ranking like most interesting matchups, that is very close to the top. I also think that the reverse is also very interesting. The um, Cincinnati defensive line versus the Vikings offensive line where Ole Udo is going to start at right guard. He's never played right guard before. Um, Ezra Cleveland is going to play at left guard. He's never played left guard before. Rashad Hill has only briefly been a starter during his career. He's starting at left tackle. How much of a challenge along this defensive line are they facing? Because as you mentioned, there are new faces all over this Bengals defense. Yeah, the defensive line last year was DJ Reader and street free agents for a few weeks, and then DJ Reader blew his quad, and then it was just street free agents. <laughs> um, and Mike Daniels, who's now in the Bengals practice squad, a longtime Packer, of course. But uh, DJ Reader's looked phenomenal in the preseason. I know we just talked about the preseason and how much it matters, <laughs> but like he against Washington's starting, starting offensive line, he won essentially every single rep. And... DJ Reader, you go back to Houston, he was a very, very good player before the Bengals played him top of the market nose tackle money, which, you know, was a questionable move, but you're very familiar with that move, I think, in Minnesota. So, um, you know, maybe don't need to get into that too much. But what he does do, and what will be interesting in this game, because the, the Vikings are probably keeping the Bengals in their base defense, right? Going two receivers and two running backs or whatever it is they're going to do uh, without Irv Smith. The Bengals are in their base defense. I think that's actually a benefit to their defensive line. I, I do think that that the Vikings are probably, and, and Dalvin Cook is probably too good. I think that Dalvin Cook's going to be able to run. But DJ Reader is a fantastic anchor. Josh Tupo, who's going to probably start for them at five tech, is is a name that nobody probably knows about, but he tackled Lamar Jackson in the open field once, which I love to talk about, which is amazing for a 300 pound man. Very good, very solid player, good in run defense, not much of a pass rusher, but good in run defense. And then the three tech is really the question, but the, this, uh, for, for, and this is gonna be interesting for the guards in particular, right? Because that's where we're gonna see a lot of these matchups. You have these first time left guard, right guard combination in Minnesota. and. You got Larry Ogunjobi, who's notoriously hot and cold, and we don't know which version of him we'll get. And he's supposed to replace, you know, Geno Atkins. And then the newly acquired BJ Hill is also going to play a lot of three tech. So the interior, very interesting. And then you go to the tackle, the tackle end matchups and that left tackle. What's his name? 
Um, you talking about Rashad Hill? Yeah. Rashad Hill. Never heard of Rashad Hill. Yep. Uh, fair. Totally gonna fair. Going to be playing against <laughs> the Bengals big money guy and Trey Hendrickson. And yep. uh, how good is Trey Hendrickson? I, I don't really know. I, I'm part of the crowd that buys that a lot of his production last year was created by other players and his motor and credit him for this created a lot of his productivity, which is great. You need that. But I'm not sure they have the habit creator on the other side. Sam Hubbard is not that guy. Um, and so I, I do think that Trey Hendrickson should beat up on a guy who maybe shouldn't be starting at left tackle. So that'll be interesting. But it's it's hard for me to imagine Minnesota not finding a way to run the ball. And if, if as long as Minnesota's not behind the sticks, I'm, I'm terrified of the Cook, Thielen, uh, and Jefferson combination. Because with especially with Trey Waynes out and not that Trey Waynes is anything to hang your hat on, but you're down from Trey Waynes to whoever the guy behind Trey Waynes is, is Eli Apple, by the way. Um, it gets a little bit scary out there. And, and so that's going to be interesting if Minnesota is able to run the ball, because I think if you get Kirk into, you know, you have to drop back pass, then that's where you start to get uncomfortable as a Minnesota Vikings fan. Yeah, no, for sure. The it, Him in those third and longs and that type of thing is just not very aggressive. Their offensive line is not built for that. Yeah. But if they can, we've seen this pretty much across the board in the Kirk Cousins era here is if Delvin Cook runs, they win. If he yeah. doesn't, they might and very could possibly lose. Uh, that's just like how it is across the board. And uh, that's why I think it's so uh, vital for them to get a good game. First game out of Ezra Cleveland and Ole Udo on the interior. We know Garrett Bradbury's a good run blocker, but um, if those two struggle in the run blocking, it could be a major problem for the Vikings right away. And I wanted to ask you too about the secondary, because we don't know either what they're going to do without Irv Smith Jr. He looked so good in training camp, I, I would have told you they're going to throw him the ball, you know, six to eight times in this game. And all of a sudden now it's a backup tight end, Tyler Conklin, who can play a little, but Chris Herndon, I don't even know if he's going to play or if it's Brandon Dillon or if they're using three wide receivers all day. And that's what Cincinnati now has to prepare for is the possibility that they use three wide receivers far more than they did last year, which was um, almost never uh, that they were using 11 personnel, lowest percentage in the entire NFL last year. So that's that is a very interesting change but without trey waynes what does the secondary look like well trey waynes is one of the outside starters so he's down and eli apple supposedly is has been good in training camp if you listen to coaches they're pleased with eli apple and i will believe it when i see it i was gonna yeah. say you said that in a pained manner like we've well, seen that before here vikings versus eli apple it usually doesn't work out well for him i mean you look historically at eli apple and you're not very confident in Eli Apple against Adam Thielen or, right. or, or Justin Jefferson or even like Amir Smith-Marset, who I loved in the draft process. And uh, so I'm excited to see him if he gets to play it all this weekend. I don't know who the who who would be the slack guy for Minnesota. K yeah, it's KJ Osborne right now. Okay. He's ahead on the depth chart, but they should be trying to mix in Smith-Marset because he's got more explosive ability than KJ Osborne. Yeah, and, and, and nothing from, uh, what, Westbrook? Is he... Uh, we don't know if he's going to play. It doesn't seem like he's going to. They didn't put him on IR, but they've been talking about mixing him in at practice, which doesn't so, sound like, yes, this person is ready to play week one. But we'll, we'll find out later in the week what the you know deal is with him. I just don't have an expectation that yeah. D.D. Westbrook can contribute a lot after missing the whole preseason. Yeah, so you got like four receivers active 
And, and I, are you really going to play that much 11 with only four receivers on your roster? I don't know. We'll see. Um, on the other side is Jadobe Awuzie, who had a terrible year in Dallas. He was playing with an injury. I mean, that whole defense went to hell in a handbasket last year with the new coaching regime. I think Cheeto's actually a fine corner. I think he's probably an average NFL corner. He's not the very bad NFL corner that he was last year. I think he's more likely to be the average NFL corner that we saw, maybe above average NFL corner that we saw in Dallas prior to last year. He's hyper-athletic. Um, I haven't seen enough of him, though. Like, these guys played 10 preseason snaps. I didn't get to watch camp individually. I know that he gave Jamar Chase fits. I don't know if that says more about Jamar Chase or <laughs> Chidobe Abuzie yet, but uh, we'll find out very soon. Uh, the, the interesting thing is going to be, is Mike Hilton on the field or not? The Bengals went out and paid for Mike Hilton from the Steelers where, you know, they're getting this guy that they're expecting to be a bit of an X factor. And in the preseason, the Bengals like to go three safety and go big, big dime with three safeties, three corners. And it doesn't sound like that is going to be employed very much if Minnesota stays in line with, you know, what we, what we saw from them last year and what I think a lot of what I'm at least, you know, I'm not expecting them to be a heavy 11 team all of a sudden. But if they are, then you have Mike Hilton that comes on the field. And mm -hmm. none of these guys are like fantastic cover corners. I think Cheeto's probably the best of the bunch. Trey Waynes, of course, everyone in Minnesota, very familiar with his speed and uh, his uh, relatively stiff hips at times and inability to turn with guys and taking those turns wide. But um, really not sure what to expect from Eli Apple, if he's if he's had a bit of a renaissance or not really impossible for me to say if Mike Hilton gets on the field though I think things do get interesting because that opens up a lot of blitz packages for this team that has been a little bit more creative I think this year than last year in terms of how they're trying to generate pressure who do you think Jake will win this football contest who do I, you um, think not the person you ask for predictions because I uh, tend to shy away from them. I don't see them as serving much of a purpose, but. But it's a great way to end a podcast is where you say, I don't know, man, I'm pretty nervous about this one. I don't think they win. Or you say, look, Bengals are going to crush the Vikings. Well, I, it's, I good, it's good. It's like, a, you know, the period on the end of the sentence. It's been a great I, conversation. I don't feel strongly about either of those things. Here's what I'll say. <laughs> I'll say that whichever team doesn't get behind the chains is going to win. I think both of these teams, when they're behind the chains, are going to struggle. I think if if Cincinnati has to convert third and longs, their offensive line might get exposed by a very good Minnesota defensive line. I think if if Minnesota's able to run the ball and, and that offensive line, that new-look offensive line in Minnesota actually is good enough for Dalvin Cook, who's very, very good, then things get really hard. For the Bengals, on the other hand, if if the Bengals surprise and somehow they're able to run the ball on what looks like a very good, especially interior defensive line, plus Daniel mm -hmm. Hunter in Minnesota and a shaky offensive line, and they're Joe Burrow's back, they're throwing it 50 times again, and they're drop back passing again. I mean, maybe it's close, but but that's asking a lot. And so if instead... You know, we see the Bengals do what they want to do, which is run the wide zone, be under center more, go more back to the line of scrimmage, play action pass and stay on schedule. Then that's how the Bengals win the game. And it is in Cincinnati. So there's that going their way, too. But I mean, Minnesota is still a road favorite. Right. And so they are. Yep. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. The Bengals pretty good at covering. 
if nothing else, Joe Burrow is fantastic <laughs> at covering and it'll be hard to lose by two. So, uh, you know, maybe that's a reason to take Cincinnati, but I just think we don't know enough about these teams yet to, for me to feel good making a prediction. But I do think that the most important thing is going to be which team gets to stay in its offense, running the ball effectively, using play action the way they want to do it, and staying on schedule. Well, and that is my favorite part of the matchup is that both teams have changed a lot about their rosters in the offseason. So we both get our first look after spending months and months and months talking about it. Uh, Jake, let's go. This was great, man. I really enjoyed it. If people want to follow you on Twitter, uh, it is at Jake L-I-S-C-O-W. You did the Lockdown Bengals podcast. If people want to get their pre-scouts in to hear what uh, you guys are discussing, please go and do that. Really appreciate your time, man. Great to talk with you. Yeah, it's been fun. I look forward to watching some real regular season football. Football.